Our scripture reading you will find in the book of Samuel, the second book of Samuel, chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7, now when the king, that is David, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly." From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise in accordance 
and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God sent went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. So far, the reading of God's holy word. We now join it. Our text this afternoon you will find in the passage which was read from the second chapter of Samuel, second book of Samuel, chapter 7. The verses 11b through 16. These words. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, as you surely know, this is the Advent season of the year. The Church of Jesus Christ reflects on the birth of Jesus her Savior and Lord, the Savior of the world. She listens to the scriptures because it is the word of God which alone can make her wise unto salvation. And also, 
It is the word of God alone that can keep the church from the idolatry of the Christless Christmas celebrations practiced all around. Oh yes, the church also is tempted to focus on that wee little, that helpless little baby lying in a manger. That, as you know, I ask, that is so idyllic, so inoffensive, so very touching. It evokes the tenderest feelings of the human heart. Many, many people who curse the Christ in their daily living, many who have no room for him, who hate him, will in the Christmas season, in their so-called Christmas celebrations, join with their children in singing the songs of the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. And, and they fully expect that he will stay that way, always and forever asleep on that hay. Hours of time are spent, and the best talents are called upon to figure out ways to recreate most effectively the Christmas scenes with shepherds and angels and a manger and the wise man, the wise men, and whatever. But who, who still gets beyond that? Who sees more? Then a baby, cute and cuddly and pitiful, and someone to fuss over. Who still sees that this child is our Savior and our Lord? Ah, yes. Who confesses that He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? In the Gospel of Luke, of Luke, you read, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. See, the little Lord Jesus of whom we sing, he surely is not lying asleep on the hay today. Rather, we must see him as he is, seated on the throne of his father David. I'm going to speak on Christ born of David. There are two thoughts as follows. The promise as given to David and the promise as fulfilled in Christ. I want to begin by saying a few things about the historical background, the redemptive historical background in which 
our text is placed and from which it must be understood. As you know, David had fought many a battle in his day. The women in Israel used to hail him as the man who had struck down his ten thousands. But now everything was quiet and peaceful in Israel. David didn't have to concentrate on war anymore. Instead, he built himself a beautiful palace in Jerusalem, the city he now called the City of David. And also, David had moved the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark, remember, was the dwelling place of God. It was the visible sign of the Lord's presence among his people. Well, now, David had moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And if anyone were to ask, why, David, why did you do that? Then the answer is because what David really wanted was that the city of David be the city of God. But even so, there was still something wrong. Oh yes, the ark of the Lord was now in Jerusalem. But that wasn't enough. That did not really satisfy David yet. After all, he himself lived in a beautiful home. Ah yes, he lived in a palace built of the finest cedar. A palace fit for a king. But. But the ark of the Lord was housed in only a tent. That had to change. Surely the Lord's house should not be a tent. Surely the Lord's house should be a beautiful place like a palace. And all of a sudden David had a wonderful idea. He would build the Lord a house. He would build the Lord a temple of the finest material available. A house fit for the Lord God, the Almighty. Immediately, David called Nathan, the prophet of the Lord, and told him about his plans. And Nathan, see, Nathan agreed with the king. The plan of David was a good plan, said Nathan. But about that night, the Lord appeared to Nathan. The Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord. The Lord then instructed Nathan to tell David that even though the plan itself was a good plan, he, David, was not the man to carry it out. We should notice that there is no reason or explanation given here as to why it is that David could not build the Lord's house. 
because as we will see, the emphasis in this passage falls altogether and completely on what the Lord God will do for David. Nothing may detract from that central theme of the passage. However, the book of Chronicles tells us that the reason why David could not build the temple of the Lord lay in the fact that he had shed much blood in many a battle he had fought. In other words, David was ceremonially unclean. You see, David had blood on his hands. And that blood, ah, that blood, it was a symbol of sin. That blood, it was a symbol of sin which is punishable by death. That blood, it was a symbol of the sin for which Christ would shed his blood of atonement. See, there the reason why David was not permitted to, be, to build the temple of the Lord. But none of that is mentioned here in the text at all. Nathan is simply told to go to David and to say to him, You, David, are not to build a house for the Lord. That's not so urgent, said the Lord in effect. Look, said the Lord, for many years I have now lived in a tent. I never, ever asked for a house. Instead, Nathan is told to remind David of the Lord's steadfast love, which the Lord had shown to him in the past. Remind David, says the Lord, remind him how I took him from the pasture, from following the sheep, and how I, the Lord God, made him the prince of my people. And tell him, Nathan, that I, the Lord, will make a great name for David. And that I will make him a house. See, that's where the emphasis lies in this passage. The Lord God will build the house of David. You could even say, the Lord will make David a house. Oh, then you hear it right away. This the Lord is not here talking about a house of cedar for David. David already had such a house. But what the Lord is saying here is this. I, the Lord God, I'm going to establish, yes, I'm going to confirm the kingship of David in or to his descendants forever. See, that is the prophecy. Yes, that is the good news which Nathan may tell David. 
And that is the wonderful good news we may listen to today as we prepare again for the celebration of the birth of the Savior. Remember it well for us to see the beauty of the grace of the Lord in this passage. We must understand, first of all, what the Lord said to David herein so long ago. You see, we've got to ask ourselves, how, how was David to understand this word of prophecy? If it is true that this is a messianic text, does it speak only of a distant future of the time the Savior would walk on this earth? Or, or this is, is this also a word to and for David personally? Is God making use of this occasion to say, to reveal something to David that really is without meaning for him and for his immediate descendants? Or, or is it the other way around? Is God speaking only to David and to his own children? Well, the fact is, both of those positions have been advocated and defended. But neither the one nor the other or the other does justice to what it is the Lord is saying in this passage. Both of those positions rob this word of the Lord of its redemptive power. You see, we have to read this passage carefully. Then we will notice that this word of prophecy is first of all an answer. It is an answer of the Lord to David's desire to build a house for the Lord. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, said the Lord to David, why then I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. And I, the Lord, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, there the word of the Lord by mouth of Nathan to David. Oh, you can't miss it. The Lord God is talking here about David's flesh and blood offspring. That is, the Lord is talking about David's son, a son not as yet born. Oh, to be sure, David had many sons by this time. But just as surely, the Lord, via Nathan, was not talking about any of those sons. The word of the Lord to David here speaks of a future development. Clearly, Nathan is prophesying a future birth and Nathan, Nathan is saying to David that that yet-to-be-born son is the one who will build the Lord a house. 
That, he says first of all, but that's not the only thing Nathan says. Because, you see, Nathan prophesies also that the yet-to-be-born son of David is the one in whom and through whom the kingship will be confirmed to the house of David forever. In other words, it is through Solomon, the son yet to be born to David, it is through Solomon that David's kingdom, that his kingship will be established forever. Then you hear it. There is here a twofold theme. Think of it. In this prophecy of Nathan, the Lord surely speaks about the building of his own house, the temple in Jerusalem. And just as surely, he speaks also about establishing David's house. David's kingship, says the Lord, will be established for the generations. Ah, yes, it will be forever. And in both cases, there is an immediate and there is a future fulfillment. Let's look first of all at the prophecy about the building of God's house, the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, Nathan had just told David that not he, but that his son Solomon will build that house. Oh yes, David had very much wanted to build the Lord a house, a temple. From verse 2, remember, we learn that David had said to Nathan, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So it is clear, David wanted to build a house for the ark of God. A house that would be all as beautiful as his own palace. But as we also heard, Nathan had to tell David that he would not be the man to build the temple. His son would do that. But now we must listen carefully to what it is Nathan says to David. You see, in verse 12, Nathan says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you'll die down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, whom you shall call, who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. Then, in verse 13, Nathan says to David that there is yet to be born son, he, he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But now, by saying it that way, the Lord, as it were, lengthens or stretches the meaning of this prophecy to a more distant fulfillment also. Think of it this way. For the present, the Lord said, Yes, David, your son, whom we know as Solomon, your son is going to build a house for my name in Jerusalem, the beautiful city of God. I ask, he will build it 
for my glory. He will build it for my glorious presence in the midst of my people, Israel. But that's not all. Because, you see, the building of the temple was itself a prophecy. Never forget it. The temple, the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. See, it was itself a sure sign of a more glorious fulfillment at a future date. I'll come back to that pretty soon in the second point. At this point, however, I want to pick up that other strand of the prophecy. The Lord, remember, had not only said that his own house, the temple, would surely be built. He had also said that David's house, that his kingdom, and that his kingship would be established forever. And that also is part of the prophecy that has an immediate and a future fulfillment. As a matter of fact, the temple prophecy was completely dependent on the kingship prophecy. In other words, if the son, namely Solomon, would not be born, well, then the temple would not be built. You hear it, the second prophecy is dependent on the first. And then it's clear, the first word about the birth of a son is the more important part of this prophecy. This is where the emphasis lies. This is the heart and core of the matter. God, God covenants himself here to the house of David forever. He says that the relationship between himself and the son of David will be a father-son relationship. A relationship that will never, ever cease. I will be a father to him, said the Lord, and he, he shall be to me a son. Oh, there can be no doubt about it. The Lord was saying this of his relationship to Solomon, first of all. Just listen. This is what the Lord said to David of that relationship. When he, your son Solomon, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I took, from whom I took it away before you. There's no mistaking what that says. See, the very fact that there is mention here of the possibility of this son committing iniquity tells you that this is not, first of all, a reference to Christ. It is clearly a reference, first of all, to Solomon. Remember, the Lord had just before this said that he would establish the house of David. 
The kingship is not going to be taken away from the house of David, said the Lord, as it had indeed been taken away from the house of Saul. As a matter of fact, the Lord underscores the fact that it is he, the Lord God, who will make that covenant relationship sure. Just talk about election. Oh yes, said the Lord. Oh yes, I will discipline. I will chastise my son as a father. In other words, the Lord would punish him in love. After all, the purpose, the goal of punishment is always, it must always be the affirmation and the continuation of the covenantal relationship between the parent and the child. Such as you know is true for the home as it is true also for the church. In other words, failure to discipline at home or in the church is really the breaking of a covenant. Well, now, God promises here that he will not take away his steadfast love from the descendants of David as he had, in fact, taken it away from Saul. Think of it. Both the house and the kingship of David would be made forever sure. After all, those two things, David's house and David's kingship, belong together. Simply put, it is this way. The continued kingship of David through the coming generations called for a continued seed of David. That is what the Lord here promises your house, he said, and your kingdom shall be made forever sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so it becomes clear that this prophecy does two things. It speaks directly to David and it speaks to, you could also say, it speaks about the son's his sons after him. That first of all. But that's not all. You see, this prophecy points also to a more distant future. That is, it points ahead to the coming of Christ, to whom the Lord will give the throne of his father David. Now, run out. Many a commentator has been stumped by the words of verse 16. There the Lord, by mouth of Nathan, says to David, Your house and your kingdom shall be made forever sure before me, and your throne shall be established forever. Those words, those commentators say, those words cannot possibly refer to the advent of Christ. 
They have to be limited to the time of the Old Testament, they say, because the Davidic kingdom came to an end with the Babylonian captivity. After all, there was thereafter never again a king of the house of David on the throne in Jerusalem, right? Until the birth of the New Testament, no son of David had again ruled as king in Israel. So how do you respond to that? What is it the Lord promises here to David and to his house? Specifically, does the Lord promise that there will always be a descendant of David on the throne in Jerusalem? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, the Lord specifically talks about disciplining, chastising the son who commits iniquity. Remember? So it may correctly be said that the Babylonian captivity was such a punishment of the Lord, also, though not only, on the house of David. Remember? By the time of the Babylonian captivity, uh, captivity, the kings of Judah had for a long time already been unfaithful shepherds of the people. Therefore, the Lord declined to appoint another son of David to occupy the throne of David in Jerusalem. But the Lord did say, that the kingship would not be taken away from the descendants of David. That, you will recall, that had indeed happened to the kingship of Saul. That would not again happen to the kingship of David. Rather, the throne of David was and had remained vacant for many years. See, David's descendants showed more and more their unfaithfulness to the covenant promises of the Lord. You know that. But God always remained faithful to the covenant he had made with David. See, the kings on David's throne turned their backs on God more and more. But God continued to look at, that is, he ever remembered the covenant he had made with David. Oh yes, the Lord kept the throne of David vacant for a long time. He kept it vacant until he sent his own dear son. He, Jesus, was born of David, remember? Oh, yes, he was born to sit on the throne of his father David. And his kingdom, as indeed his kingship, shall be without end. So it, may, so it had been, been announced to Mary. And of his kingdom there will be no end, said, David, said the angel. No doubt, many things 
could be said about the kingship of David's son, especially as it is finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But here we have to listen to what Nathan specifically said about it to David. To the end, we have to go back for a moment to verse 13. That verse, you'll remember, talks about the house which David's son would build for the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. But now, that verse, as we already saw, that verse found its immediate, though partial fulfillment, when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. But remember, I said, the building of the temple was itself a prophecy. It pointed forward, it pointed ahead to a more perfect fulfillment. So it is a fact. Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And that temple, as you know, was a visible proclamation of God's presence among his people. By means of that temple, God said to his people, I The Lord your God, I am here with you. Ah yes, I am in your midst always. But remember well, Solomon built the temple, the Lord's house, with dead stones. And that house was by no means permanent it could and it would once and again be altogether destroyed, remember? But Christ, the great son of David, Christ built his house with living stones. And that house, says the writer of Hebrews, ah yes, that house is we. We are his God's house. And see, Christ is building his house on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he himself being the cornerstone. Ah, yes, he builds it as a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, now, that is. What this prophecy of Nathan is pointing forward to. And see, then the question is not, did Nathan or did David see that and understand all of that? That question can never be answered with certainty. And it is altogether beside the point and misleading. The question, however, is, do we? In this Advent season, as we look forward to the coming of Christ who came in the fullness of time, do we believe that Christ came? Remember well, he was born of David and he is sitting on the throne of David today. Do you believe that oh yes and he came to build the house of God 
He came to build a spiritual house made of living stones. Well, now, do you believe that we are, that you are, those stones who, as living stones, must be ready to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God? Do you believe that we, the Church of Jesus Christ, the Lord's temple in this world, are a proclamation, a visible proclamation of His majestic, of His glorious presence in this world today? The Christmas season, you see, is such a joyful season, right? But remember well, it is that only for those made alive in Christ, it is that only for those who have become living stones in the house that He is building. Many today celebrate Christmas. But by those who refuse to bow before the Christ, those who remain dead stones, see, they, they are celebrating their own eternal destruction. That that is the tremendous seriousness of Christmas. Christ the King, the one who rules in perfect righteousness, Christ came. He came to build his house. And he is coming again. That you must tell your neighbors. Praise the Lord. Amen.